ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engines running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. All right, welcome to the Launchpad Podcast. I'm Aaron. I'm Matt. And Matt, we have a special guest in the Launchpad today. Who do we have? We have a Mr. Sean Lewis. He is a comic book writer, actor extraordinaire. Sean, welcome to the Launchpad. Thanks for having me on. Uh, thanks for coming, man. It's good to, good to have you. So we know you through a couple mutual friends, but we've recently been reading some stuff that you've been doing, but... You're a pretty busy fellow. Why don't you uh, Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. So I write Coyotes uh, with Caitlin Yarsky on the art for Image Comics. And then right now I'm also writing Clan Killers for Aftershock Comics uh, with Antonio Fuso. Before that, I was doing Betrothed for Aftershock. And then before, before that, I did The Few for Image Comics with Aiden, Hayden Sherman and Saints for Image with Ben Mackey. And then my day job up until a couple of weeks ago, I was running um, a regional theater in um, the Midwest. I still run a touring theater company. I write plays. I act. So yeah, it's a, it's a pretty on the run lifestyle. That's crazy. All those titles and trying to put on a play. And I, I've done theater, so I know how, how intense those schedules can be. Where do you find the time to, to then hop down and write a comic book? I don't sleep a ton. <laughs> you know, I have, a, I have a young son. I have a two-year-old. And so he keeps me up a good amount. And then just like organizationally, just trying to schedule things in a way where I know I can get them done. So with the comic books, it's a lot of like, okay, I have two weeks in between these productions. So I'm going to literally write every single issue, at least the first drafts of an entire arc in these two weeks. Wow that I have it. And then when they're coming up, I can, I can go back and I, you know, I go back and I edit them. They're not at all the final version, but at least I'm, I have them. And then I do the same thing as a playwright. Like when the comic books are going up into production, going up to, you know, the, the production artists and I know they're about to hit the stands and I'm like, okay, I have about a week or two now before I'm going to need to do edits on the next comic. I'm going to try and write a couple of scenes for this play. And then, you know, rehearsals in the office stuff, for the theater is like how I imagine it is for a lot of other people. Like, you know, like I know Jim Zub writes for Marvel and then also is like the head of an animation program. So it's just kind of like, okay, that's my day job. And then it's just figuring out with these little pockets of time in between, like, how can I, how can I maximize them? Yeah. That takes some discipline, man. Like you got to really have your shit together to be, to be doing that much stuff to be wearing that many hats and I got to say successfully, your books do well. I haven't seen any of your plays, but I haven't heard about that terrible playwright, Sean Lewis. <laughs> yeah, I've been doing okay. I mean, I've been doing theater, it feels like, for an incredibly long time. That's been my full-time job for probably the last like 15, 16 years. Wow. Oh, that's, that's a good, that's a long career, man. Yeah, it's kind, of, it's kind of creeped up on me in a way that I didn't expect. But basically, you know, that's been the main paycheck since I was like 23 or 24. Good for you, man. That's that's awesome. And and was that always sort of a a dream from the beginning? I, I guess let's start at the beginning. Where where did you get the bug to let's say start with plays? Because then at some point comic books came along. But where was the bug first laid? Comics actually were by far first. Wow. Okay. okay. You know, like I grew up reading comic books. Um, I had an I had an uncle who was older than me who lived with me and my mom and my my stepdad when I was in high school. He came and stayed with us, 
and you know he had the long box and he had all these he was really obsessed with swamp thing and like black orchid and like a lot of vertigo titles a lot of dc um and then some x-men like the the old like chris claremont john byrne x-men's and like I thought he was cool as hell. I would break into his room when he was out on dates. I'd steal all of his comics and bring them to my room. Um, and I just got really, I was obsessed with them. And I would like write and draw my own little comics when I was in school and Xerox them and try and sell them to kids. And <laughs> I love that as you were an entrepreneur, you weren't like giving them out or showing them to people. You're like, uh, 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 let me see the green first. Yeah. I- that's true. I never thought about that part. Yeah, that's actually pretty baller, though. <laughs> so what were those early comics? Were they superheroes? Were they... What, what, what kind of things were they? You know, they were more slice of life. Um, I, I don't know that I knew the difference at the time. I was not a great artist, so it was a lot about just, like, what I could draw. And, you know, at that age, I mean, we're talking, like, mm, fourth or fifth grade. So a lot of times it was just, like, there were a lot of stories about, like, kids in class having a very funny uprising that like toppled their teachers. Like it was a lot, it was a lot of that. Oh, uh, man. I got into sports around high school um, and I primarily wrestled and I went to college on a wrestling. I, I went to college and I was on the wrestling team. I busted up my knee and for rehabilitation, they put me into a movement class that was for actors and dancers. And the, the teacher of the class was an acting professor and she reached out to me during the class and she was doing a production of Romeo and Juliet, asked me if I wanted to audition and be in the show. And I did. And I did that play with her and I just fell in love with doing the play and I liked the whole lifestyle of it. Like there was lots of parties and like it was a lot less aggressive than my wrestling teammates. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah. You know, like my wrestling teammates, we would go to bars and like they would get into fights and there was always some kind of nonsense going on and it was yeah. it was very like like how tough are you how tough are you at all times behavior theater wasn't like that <laughs> theater was the complete opposite which was just great like it was just fun going to parties with them and they talked about stuff i i like like i was an english major I was, I'm, i've always been really obsessive reader and so there was nerdier things that i think i wasn't able to like i basically hid while i was on the wrestling team that were like suddenly like oh these people actually all love the same stuff that i love and so yeah. that that started me getting obsessed with theater like while i was in undergrad i started writing there was these things that they did that were called open season um yeah. which undergrads could just do whatever they want like you could go up and do stand-up comedy or a play and i wrote a short play for one of them and it went pretty well i felt and then i wrote another and another and then i i went to new york for a little bit and acted for a while and then i went to grad school for writing out at the university of iowa mfa writing program once i graduated from that i I basically went off and started my own theater company and I started touring like solo shows. I would write one man shows for myself and so I toured them around the country. And then that led to me building a full company. Like once I had contacts from doing the solo shows, I started building like larger productions and touring those. And so that's that's kind of what I've been doing. But the company I've been doing for probably the last like six or seven years. Pretty and what's the name of the touring company? Uh Working Group Theater. Very cool. That's awesome, man. So so then let's get, get, get into comics. What, what got you into writing comics? I mean, I guess from a play to a comic, it's, it's, it's a similar path, but what made the jump into writing comics that were starting to get produced outside of the uh, fifth grade lunchroom? <laughs> well, I've, I've definitely had some other people in the comics world be like, do not tell this story because it's, it'll just make people mad because I've been really lucky. Girl, uh, I'm mad already. <laughs> <laughs> well, basically, I never understood how you got into writing comic books. 
Like, I didn't know who you sent stuff to. Without an artist, I wasn't even sure like what you did, like if you sent a script to someone. So I kind of abandoned that years ago. Yeah. Like with plays, I got it. I was like, okay, if I write a thing and I find a space and I can get like three or four people to agree to do it, we can do a play. You know, like it'll happen. Yeah. Where I didn't even know how to meet artists really who did that. Basically what happened is with my touring company, we were doing a show and I wanted to do live animation in the show using old school overhead projectors. So like the ones that you would crank when you were in high school. And so what I wanted to do was get an artist who could basically make a long running of that so that when you cranked it, it was just this ongoing picture that would stream on the wall. Um, Wow. That's pretty clever. It was cool. It worked really, really well. And the guy who did the art was Ben Mackey, who I did Saints with. I, I didn't know him. Someone suggested him to me. And he was doing the art and I was looking at it and they looked like all these like Silver Age Superman drawings. We just started talking about comics. And then he was like, he was like, yeah, I really want to do a comic, but I don't know how to write one. And literally we were painting the set the morning, like a, like a morning, like two or three days before we were going to open this show. He was talking about this and I was like, let's just go to the co- coffee shop after this and maybe like throw around some ideas. And so we went to the coffee shop. We started talking about doing a comic and then that those conversations became same. Hmm. Ben had basically taught himself how to draw. His big influences in art had been these like Byzantine and other like religious painting. Yeah. I grew up and went to years and years of Catholic school. Right. And so we just started talking about like, what would it be like if a bunch of atheists got endowed with the superpowers of saints? Like if the X-Men had this weird Catholic lineage that they might not even believe in. And so that became that book. So we just were like, let's make a whole issue. And so we made a whole issue of it, like, which became basically the one that people bought. I didn't know what you did with it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You had it. But again, like, so I went to DC and I went to Marvel, like to their website, just seeing like, and you know, it says on all of them, like, don't, we don't take unsolicited submissions and we don't take unsolicited submissions. And I went to image. And at the time, though, I believe this has changed. Eric Stevenson's email was on the website. And he's the editor in chief for people who don't know. And I was like, oh, the editor in chief. And I, I was actually pretty naive in the sense where I was like, I'm not fully, I've been working in journalism. I'm not fully sure what the editor in chief is, but I feel like it's a good person. To it send seems high up there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I just sent him, I just did a cold email of saints. Wow. And literally we were on tour. I'm, I still remember this. I was doing a solo show in New Hampshire at a performing arts center. And that afternoon I got a phone call. Didn't recognize the phone number. It was from Berkeley, California. Answered it. Hi, this is Eric Stevenson. Are you the guy who wrote Saints? And I said, yeah. And he was like, do you want us to do your comic? And oh, that wow. <laughs> basically I got off the phone. I called Ben. Ben yelled at me for a good half hour going like, stop lying to me. That doesn't happen. Stop lying to me. And within four months, that book was on the shelves. That's wow. insane. It was, it wow. completely crazy. That is completely crazy. I mean, and that's so cool that, I mean... Like you said, that does not happen to our to our listeners out there. That's this is this is a definitely an outlier, but that's like that's amazing. Lightning strike! What yeah. luck and like, I mean, and it's well deserved. I mean, Saints is a cool book. I have read Saints because I was I I went to Catholic school for a long time too, so I knew I I checked out Saints when we started talking, and um, you know, it's it's exactly like you said. It's kind of like this sort of Catholic mythos infused into like an X-Men sort of world. And, and it's a lot of fun because of that, because of all those things that I was hit with that you're kind of like, th- there's a lot of weird things when you grow up Catholic that's like, 
that sounds so magical or that sounds so like you're like is nobody focusing on this part where they're like they're going to raise the dead for this no nobody's <laughs> gonna nobody's focusing on that oh okay Rumi, what would you know, be I'm, your saint superpower my saint superpower dude well they all had like weird healing powers or like the uh metamorphosis of different things like people like you know changing water into wine that's pretty damn sweet right there <laughs> stay drunk all the time <laughs> I don't drink though. I wish I could change it to like juicy juice or like root beer. Can you do that? Like, can you do any liquor or is it specifically wine? I don't know. They only had wine in the Bible. I wasn't raised Catholic, so I don't know. Did any of them fly or have like invulnerability? They did miracles, man. They did miracles. Nobody flew that I can recall. I, or at least we skipped those stories. How could you skip the flying ones? <laughs> there might have been a levitation in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do this. We're doing uh, the episode that we're doing now is called a what have you been watching? And it's really like, what have you been watching? What have you been reading? What, you know, what kind of stuff have you been doing? Let's take that in a broader sense. Who, who were the, I guess, let's say superheroes, or I guess if you read comics that were not superheroes, what were the comics specifically that inspired you to do, whether it was acting or comics, what kind of comics spoke to you as, as a reader? I mean, those ones that my uncle like kind of exposed me to a big like Alan Moore's run on Swamp Thing. Sure. Um, you know, like how literary it is. Like there's, I go back and reread some of them and I'll, and I'll be honest, there's certain times where I'm like, I have no fucking clue what's going on, but I'm so engaged. Sure. Yeah. 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 There's just like clearly a bigger thing going on that I'm like, I'm not going to understand any of this until I'm like 12 issues in and I'm okay with that. Like, that's great. Well, when you, when you mentioned that, like that really opens my eye to having just read your book coyotes like i definitely see a huge influence from that alan moore swamp thing not only in like how you write it but in some of the art and we'll get to that but uh c continue what were some more of your influences um i was i was obsessed with claremont's run on i mean it was a long i mean i guess it was 17 years so it's a long one but like i read a lot of x-men there's some x-men arcs that i was just like like when they went down to australia and they were in the backwoods and getting hunted like those I was always into that and like that outcast sensibility. I think with the X-Men, especially as like a frustrated kid in high school and middle school, this group of people who were incredibly special, but everyone seemed to hate them and not want them around was just yeah. something I totally got. And then like, I remember the first time my uncle gave me a copy of Preacher to read. And that was, a, I think the Catholicism... I, I liked things that have kind of broken rules for me. Like I felt the same way with plays. Like there was, there's a playwright named Sam Shepard who, when I first got into theater, I thought it was a very specific thing. Like I thought it was people dressed really nicely speaking faux British. Yeah. <laughs> I really thought like if I'm in a play, that's what I have to learn how to do. And then I remember seeing this Sam Shepard play called curse of the starving pot. Yeah. And this guy like is just, like he's taking his sister's 4-H posters and literally just pissing on them on stage and everyone's poor and they're fighting over eating the last artichoke in the fridge. And it was just dirty and grimy in a way I'd never seen. It was the complete opposite of what I thought theater was. And that was the first moment where I was like, oh, if this is allowed in here and they also have Noel Coward, like I can find some room. There's a place for me to figure out where my imagination and voice exist in this form. Right. And it, Comics, it was the same thing. Like X-Men were one definitive thing to me. And then I remember reading Preacher, which I felt like pushed things. It felt, at least at that age, you know, it's that time where you either see a movie 
or read something or someone tells you something and it's that moment where you're like, I'm not sure I'm adult enough to know this yet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a good way to phrase it. Preacher is definitely one of those books because I, I, I mean, I think we all, especially with comic books, I think we all encounter something that's a little more adult than we're ready for. You know, you're at the comic shop and you're, you know, you get, get farther back into the comic shop and suddenly you're looking at a, at, at a preacher or a spawn or something like that. And it's like, whoa, this is, this is really violent. This is dealing with some heavy stuff. Right. Or they're talking about things in a way, like I've heard Patton Oswalt talk about this with comedy on a podcast before and, I, and it really hit me and I felt like comic books and sometimes plays did this for me where like you read something and it, it feels more adult than you're ready for it, but it also feels absolutely true. Yeah. Like something just resounds in you where you're like, I believe that this is true and no one's ever told me this before. And it's kind of scary. I, I remember feeling kind of scared at times of like, I'm not sure I should read the rest of this. Like this might fuck me up. <laughs> yeah. And I think that I loved, like, I think there was something in, in Preacher, especially at the time that I was like, uh, this is against like so much of what I grew up with. Like with the Catholicism, I, I'm Irish Catholic. I'm first generation Irish. So like a lot of his stuff was hitting on things where I'm like, oh, I always thought this or I thought this was bullshit at home, but now someone else is saying it is and it feels right. Oh, and then it pushes that guilt button too because us Catholics love guilt. <laughs> So I'd say those were like, those were big. And I was in a, I was and still am like an obsessive movie geek. Like that movies play a pretty big influential role. In a lot what of what kind of movies do you like? Like, I, I know it's always hard to say, what's your favorite? I hate that question. Cause I'm like, well, let me give you five. But like, if you could pick from your top 10, like what's one that just comes to mind right off the top? It could be something like Yojimbo and Say Anything and Reservoir Dogs and uh, Dancer in the Dark. Like, those would be like, those are the ones that just immediately come out of my mouth that I'm like, the, these are ones that I obsess about and I've probably watched a lot. Yeah. I think with the comic even, you know, there's a bunch of films that, you know, like, I'd say like Kurosawa and Tarantino and weirdly John Hughes are all like influences on Coyotes. Yeah. I can see that. That's a good gamut there. Yeah, you know, I just, there's something about the mashups of those. I mean, that's why I'm pretty obsessed with comics right now, obviously, like from the creator side, because it's like, it feels, there's these, there's these eras of film that I, I really love that are like Easy Riders, Raging Bull, the, the whole like six, late 60s through the 1980 explosion of, of all these like great, like Harold and Maude and Midnight Cowboy, these kind of like indie feeling gritty, but mass market films. And then like the nineties Miramax explosion of Rodriguez and Tarantino and Kevin Smith. What I like in both of those eras is there's like unabashed imagination. Yeah. And I feel like with comic books, I'm like, Oh, this is the bastion where like you really can, you can go really insanely far. You know, like I look at the things that Brian Vaughn is doing in saga so funny. Caitlin and I talk about this because there's times where we'll be at a, a signing and someone will say to me like, I love this book. It's like, they'll be like, they'll pick it up and be talking to a friend. And this happens. A couple, they're like, I love this book. It's really weird, but it's great. And I'm like, Saga is like one of the best selling books in the country. It's the weirdest thing I've ever read. It's and all then, over the place. Yeah. About how insane that book is. And I'm like, that's what's wonderful. Like, I, I guess, cause I still have connotations of growing up and weird meaning like bad from my grandmother or mother's mouth. Yeah. Where I'm just like, oh, weird is what is making comic books like so undeniable right now. Well, and like, I love that 
even though there is so much mainstay commercial comic book properties out there, you know, you have your Avengers and your Spider-Man, there's still like a show like Legion, which is one of the strangest, weirdest things I've ever seen on television, but it's based on an X-Men comic book and it's, but it's amazing, incredible. And they're allowed to do like whatever they want on television and, and it's super experimental in the way they do it. And it's like, that's so amazing that in these properties, you can still take it somewhere. And even if it is quote unquote weird, it's just, that's, that's just stretching your mind. It's making you see things in a different way and showing you different ways that things can be done. And I love that. Well, there's also, there's just so many less hands, you know, like I imagine Saga, since he's working at Image, is, is very much like my experience with Coyotes. Like Coyotes is me and Caitlin. You know, like we're not getting, we're not getting oversight from anyone. Like what we turn in is what they're going to publish. So like me and Caitlin had like a good hour long conversation yesterday talking about the current arc we're working on and just figuring out like one of the big events that's going to happen. And it's like, wow, that's huge. Like if we were working for a, a television show or a studio, they'd be like, you can't do that. Like that's going to, that's going to upset somebody or that's going to be this or that where I think what's great in the comic books is you're like, no, that's, that's where my brain is telling me it goes. That's where we want to take it. And in a way it's like, it's so freeing that you're like, I mean, just even speaking of Vaughn, like we're going to kill a main character. <laughs> like that's just what it's going to be. And you're going to have to deal with it. Yeah. Where I think like, It'd be hard, you know, if you did that even at one of the major, the big two, like how many people are going to have to sign off on it? And not even just that, like people forget how, like creators, at least I'll speak for myself, like I'm not an unmovable rock. Like we, I have insecurities no matter how much success or not happens, right? So like one thing that people forget is the more people you have to hand it to and get feedback from before you've actually done it, right? Like when you're pitching an idea. Yeah. The more people, I just don't know about the guy. So the guys have televisions as heads. I don't know. I don't know if I like the television heads. When you've heard the fourth person in a row do it, you start going like, maybe I'm an idiot. Like maybe television heads are stupid. <laughs> yeah. It's out of the way. And you have like Prince Robot, who's in Saga is like probably like my favorite character. Right. And it's like this insane thing where you're like, he's great. And like his subconscious broadcasting on the screen of his face at all times is like refreshingly honest. In a weird world. It's just one of the, I think that's where with the comics, I just keep, even after working in theater for years and some, and even running my own company, but dealing with producers at times, it's like, oh man, it's amazing to have the opportunity to just be like, no, we are the source of it. There's no one else. Absolutely. Well, we keep mentioning your and Caitlin. Caitlin is the artist on your comic, Coyotes for Image. Sean, would you give us like a, you know, the two or three sentence pitch for what that book is, what that book is about? Sure. There's a mythical border town where women are disappearing and they find out that it's because there are these ancient coyotes who, when men put on their pelts, get turned into like wolves and hunt the women. So the women start fighting back. When we started looking into this book for the interview, we were like, go on. And then we started reading. Aaron and I both read the first four or five issues and it, it is Awesome, dude. And it is exactly what you just said. Um, you're a white guy, right? Yes, I am. I'm very white. The main characters of this story are not white. Is that true? Um, yeah, I'd say most of the people in the book, with the exception of Detective Coffee, are not white. They're all different races. Most of the main, main characters are women. And it seems like they're... they're um, are they Hispanic or are they... You said there's... I know there's different ones in different times, but the main character... Yeah. Tell us a little bit about her. 
Yeah, red, red is Hispanic. The Duchess is African American. A lot of the Victorias throughout the book are any are Asian, Indigenous. Um, it's kind of a whole intersection of of races, but the primary characters are all women. So, how did you get inspired? Like, where'd you get the idea to write this book that is primarily about a different gender and ethnicity than you are used to, or are? Well. Yeah. I mean, well, then that's always tricky, you know, how to do those things with respect and and how do you balance the lines of appropriation. One of the reasons why it's in a more mythic world is is part of that, um, is that it becomes a larger allegory. The main things that it hit on me is, um, so I'd done some work for This American Life and there was an episode that they did and they did a story about this woman that had been nicknamed in Juarez, Mexico as the blonde. Basically, women were going missing on a bus route. And nobody, the police weren't able to do anything about it. And this woman started showing up on the buses wearing a blonde wig. And she just started executing bus drivers. Like she'd wait until the end of the route and then shoot a bus driver in the head. And the logic behind it was that she was like, if the police aren't helping, the women are disappearing on the bus route, then the people who, if they're not doing it, at least know what's going on, are these bus drivers. Wow. I got fascinated with that story. And then um, my wife is Canadian and she started telling me stories about the Trail of Tears out by Vancouver, um, where a lot of indigenous, indigenous women have gone missing. And then we were living in the Midwest and there was a lot of like a- agricultural processing plants. And you would see all these like Eastern European women who came over on weird work visas who were now like trapped in the Midwest working in these places. And it, it just kind of got me fascinated about like, okay, what is the, what is what is this as a larger systemic thing? And then um, a lot of times I try and work, I work from the big macro, which is where it's, it sounds all smart and highfalutin. And then I try and think of the stupidest, like the stupidest metaphor I can find. And so within, um, within the border crossings between Mexico and the US, I, I started thinking about the word coyotes, the idea of a person that you pay to bring you across the border. Right. And a lot of times they're really, a lot of the stories I had read, they're actually very predatory. And, um, and I just started thinking like, well, what if the coyote who brought you across the border was actually a coyote? Like, and what would that mean? And then I was just like, well, that would mean they were a werewolf. So how do they become a werewolf? And then I started researching werewolves and I came across this whole concept from like the 15, 15 and 1600s where men were going to trial for like mass murders and saying like, I'm a werewolf. I wear this animal pelt and it transforms me at night and it's the pelt's prowl, it's the pelt's fault. And so that it, each one of those things just started building out the story more and more. Well, it's, it's fascinating because it, it really is an interesting perspective. And I, I really, really like what you've done with it and what you've brought to the story, because it is interesting that especially in this area, like it seems so topical. And I think it's a great time for this kind of book to come out. I love the characters. Red is amazing. Something I'd like to touch on is the art. And I know Caitlin's not here and we're going to, we'll, we'll, we'll get a conversation with her because the art is impeccable, dude. I have to say you found an amazing artist in Caitlin. I love how you guys do just atypical frames, how it'll be like the Victorian's dress coming down and she's like puppeteering these people. The way she draws the wolves, are the coyotes, I guess, the were coyotes is so cool because they flow like water across the page. If you guys have not seen these images, we'll put some of them up on our social media, but they are incredible the way this comic is drawn. Oh, Caitlin's unreal. I think I tweeted yesterday because the thing is, is like her art on the first four issues is incredible. And the stuff she's doing now in the second arc is is even beyond it. 
I mean, what people have to understand is this is Caitlin's first comic book. What? Yeah, Caitlin had never done a comic book before. So, like, she's, she's now, she's just getting better and better and better at it. I think I tweeted yesterday, I don't know how they, I don't know how these things are decided, but I think, she, I thought she did it in the first four, but she's definitely in the next arc just doing Eisner level work. We we got a little tease that had some some preliminary pages and stuff she was showing um, when she sent us the issues and I saw a fire coyote that's like made out of like lava or energy or fire and it it was just a black and white you know the pen and ink and it was beautiful. Yeah, she's it's amazing what she's doing. Um, and yeah, like we me, it's funny me and her were talking about it yesterday too. Like even just like her framing, she just has such a cinematic approach to even like non action scenes. That it, like you said, like her paneling and the way the page comes together is just like so beautiful, you know. And I think part of it is we have a really, we have a really good relationship in the way that we work. Like I think with a lot of the creator, a lot of the artists I've worked with, you know, I did a panel at SDCC with 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 Ryland Grant, who you guys know. And part of the reason he wanted to have me on is that I, the way my comic book scripts look are astronomically different for each artist. So sometimes they'll look like a short story. Sometimes they'll look like a movie script. Sometimes they'll look like a comic script that you would get from a, a more traditional comic book creator. Because a lot of times I'm trying to figure out like, oh, what are you really good at? And what's the best way for me to stay out of your way or amplify it? And hmm. so with Kate, a lot of like, it looks like halfway between a short story and a screenplay. And then a lot of it happens on the phone with us talking to each other. It's okay. like- I'll send her a script. She'll write me back. She'll do a couple of initial sketches. Be like, what do you think of that? Then we'll hop on the phone and start working through the book almost page by page of like, oh, it could look like this. And like, then it'll be like, well, it'd be great. And with her, like, like you mentioned, like the puppeteering, it allows me in certain parts of the script to go like, okay, this thing is this, this fragrance is floating across the sky. Now, could you make that into a metaphor where the fragrance is actually alive and is built out of fairy versions of the women? And she'll be like, oh yeah, that'll be awesome. I'm on it. And like, she'll go and do it. Like, it's just been a really great, I think, um, give and take between the two of us on like finding that way to work with each other that is just bringing out, I think, the best in each of us. That must be so exciting too, because when you write like a guy transforms into a coyote, a were coyote, and then you get these images back that are so bad ass like the transformations i love how the skin is bubbly and stretching yeah. and tearing and the, the the intermediate images of between man and coyote are awesome and and like I, I just get really excited about that something else that i really like and this is almost very theatrical is that the different characters have different ways that their speech balloons look mm. like the characters the victims like the, the duchess the ornate kind of speech bubbles yeah, she has all these like fleur de lis off the side of of her speech bubbles, and Red's dialogue is always in red, and and I just think that those sort of things that cue you in to that character just through their speech bubbles is really cool. You know, the funny thing about you were saying the werewolf and the and how you love the bubbling and the transforms. What's also amazing to me about it is that like Caitlin doesn't really like horror, <laughs> you know, or like the. Grotesque. <laughs> But like she can, her drawings of it are just so incredible. Cause like I'll talk to her and she's like, ah, gotta make another werewolf. <laughs> like, yeah. But like, yeah, she, she's constantly surprising me 
He's great. Well, I think, you know, you hit it on the head, Sean, when you said it's so much more intimate because it's, you know, you and her and even especially image, you don't even have a ton of oversight. But Erin and I do different types of special effects for film and TV. And, you know, we read a script just like Caitlin reads your scripts. And from that, we have ideas. We meet with the directors and producers. We talk about how things are going to be done. We break it down, you know, design wise as well as budget wise. We do tests, et cetera, which is probably stuff that all Caitlin and you do as well. But it's just you and Caitlin. Whereas like, you know, like I'm working on 300. It's me and a crew of 40 people talking with a huge production team. It it turns into like a, a much bigger deal where probably not as many good ideas are being farmed, not as many good ideas are being cultivated and heard, but you have your script, which is dynamite. You have her talent, which is great. And the two of you jump on the phone and are able to hash that out. That's, I mean, that's incredible. And you can see that in, in the book. And I think your book is another strength that your book has that not every book has is it seems that you and Caitlin are often on the same page. It seems like you're digging her art and she's digging your words and together you guys are making a kick-ass book. And I've seen some some great art that really doesn't have good writing or some great writing that is not really supported by the art. Whether it's, sometimes it's not even a matter of talent, it's a matter of, of style. You know, like Jim Lee is an amazing artist, but he shouldn't be drawing for everybody. You know what I mean? It doesn't necessarily tonally match up, but it seems that you two are just in, in step and step. And like it just, this book is a really fun ride. Thanks. I, I mean, I think a lot of that comes down to, to ownership. Like, I think we both feel true ownership of the book. Like, you know, like yesterday's a good example. We're working on issue seven. She needs the draft by, to, by basically tonight. So I write up like a, um, a version of the rough draft. I send it to her over Twitter DM. And then she sends me back a bunch of questions. I answer some questions. She does a couple of sketches, sends them to me. I send her questions. And then we both hop on the phone and we start talking through all of it. And I think a big part of this, like how you were mentioning, I think, I think people forget like, you know, there's a lot of complaints often about like, oh, with Hollywood or TV or mass marketed things where it's like, there's just so many voices and the voices are dumb. I'm not even sure if the voices are dumb as much as what you're trying to do with each collaborator is you're trying to figure out how to speak to their particular imagination. And that's where shit gets fucked up, right? Because if I can see it clearly in my head and I'm articulating it to you, but you don't, you don't have the same experiences, the same background, the same whatever. Like what I'm saying could mean gibberish. Like I'm like, there's a fragrance, but it's actually made up of fairies. And you're like, I don't know what the fuck that means. <laughs> right. What you're talking about. But the thing is, is that I find with artists, it's, it's most important for me as the writer because I'm just writing, you know, like I'm going to build worlds, I'm going to build story. And eventually I'm going to come in when you've drawn everything and I'm going to put word bubbles in the, I'm going to put words in their mouth. like. It's, it's pretty standard how I'm going to work. What I find is really important with, my, with the artists I work with is to get into like, how do you kind of see the world? Like what, what generates your brain in a way where you're going to do something that's amazing? I guess what I, where I'm going with it is just the idea that, you know, with Caitlin, when I talk to her about things in terms of imagery, metaphor, and myth, she immediately gets ideas that are beyond what my initial concept was, but brings out the themes that I want. Like for me as a writer, I'm, I'm really obsessed with character and theme. Um, and then plot. You know, plot is, is something that, you know, you have to have. It, it doesn't always super excite me as much as like the decisions people make and why. With Caitlin, I find like the moment I can talk about myth or metaphor, she's going to go off and you're going to have a guy transforming and 
you know, he's bubbling and it's, it's incredible or she's puppeteering people. And so I think that's, that, that's sometimes that's where having just two people, it's so much easier for me to figure out like, Oh, I just need to figure out how you think. Like you said, the, I think the word that you said before was intimate and I think that makes sense. And I, maybe that's part of why I, I don't want to say I like comics more than movies. I almost said that, but I don't know if that's, if that's necessarily true. Let me ask you this, Sean, um, stepping away from coyotes for a second, this is a what have you been watching just in general, whether it's comic books or a video game or a book like a prose book or a movie or TV show. What, what have you been doing lately? What have you been watching? What, what's something that you would want to tell us? Oh, you guys got to check this out, whether it's something we've never seen before or something we've seen a hundred times before. I don't know why, but I've been pretty obsessively watching. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. Um, I've just been having it on a lot when I'm making meals and whatnot. Um, I think there's something in just like there. I think the world itself seems so ridiculous that having them bring it to an amplified, an even larger amplified state just makes me feel a little, a little less crazy, probably. I've been reading a bunch of old arcs of X-Men. Um, I'm right now reading the Dark Phoenix saga, which has been really great. Um, and some old Iron Man, uh, Demon in a Bottle, an arc from the 80s, I think, which has been really cool. There you um, got some good classics going on there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've been, I've been, I've been trying to go back to some of those and thinking about like what, what did comic books do back then that I really love that maybe they aren't doing anymore. That's been a, that's been something I've been, I've been curious about. And then I, with the kid, it's really hard to see movies. I haven't seen a lot of movies lately. Well, the good news is you're not missing much. They're not, they're not making too many good movies. Although I got to tell you, my wife got us, got us into a screening for the movie eighth grade which is like, you know, I don't know if you've seen the trailers, but it's about a girl in eighth grade trying to like make it through. And I was like, it didn't look like it was going to be torturous, but it's not a movie that I would go see. It is probably the best movie that I've seen in a long time. It was incredible. I've been curious about that movie. I mean, on the same side of that, I've been recommending Good Time to anybody who hasn't seen it as well, which is older, but I also really love definitely check out eighth grade Rumi, have you seen the trailers for eighth grade yeah that's the bo burnham the comedian uh turned turned uh, yeah, director yeah. writer and you know i gotta tell you like i watched the, the trailer and i was like that looks good but it's like a feel-good coming of age movie about a young girl it, it doesn't relate to me at all and like i have other shit to do so like i'll never get to that but then my wife was so excited to see it and i was like okay i'll go and if i take a nap i take a nap it was engaging it was really funny um I don't know, like, I'd love to talk to a group of 38th grade girls and be like, hey, is that like how it really is? Or is that how a, you know, old, not older, but an older white guy thinks it is. But uh, a lot, there was, was, the screening we saw had a lot of children in it, specifically around that age, and they all seemed really engaged. And then at the end, well, actually, the director introduced it without introducing who he was. He just came out and was like, hope you guys like this movie, blah, 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 blah. He was very funny. Then he came back out after, and they did a Q and A. Him and the 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 actress who plays the young girl, and the young girl was really good. She was very well spoken and stuff for her age and experience level. And then he, I thought I was blown away by him. He was really funny, really good with the crowd, and as a as a creator talking about not only his work but other work. Every question you asked him, if it wasn't a question that like you know that he was been asked a thousand times before. He stopped for 10 seconds, thought about the answer, and then started to explain what he meant. And as he started to explain, he would stop, think about what he was saying. It really, really like 
Rumi, he's one of those guys that even though I know nothing about him now at this point, other than that he made that movie, I would love to sit down and talk with him. And I would love to sit down and talk with him about anything. It wouldn't have to be his movies or even movies in general. He just seemed like a guy who, you know, would be an interesting, well-thought, funny, educated guy to like chat with, you know? Well, he's a stand-up comedian, Bo Burnham. He has some pretty good stand-ups on Netflix. Uh, I'll check that out if he's got stand-ups on Netflix. Um, uh, Rumi, what have you been watching? What have you been doing? Oh, I've been catching up on uh, you know, the mass media Marvel Marvel movies. I I watched Spider Man Homecoming finally, and uh, yesterday I watched Black Panther for the first time. Uh, I, I'm a little behind on the Marvel stuff, but uh, I I I enjoyed both of them. I thought the art design and the art direction in Black Panther was incredible. I I loved all the designs, all the looks, all the costumes, and I thought the story was a lot of fun. So it was entertaining, really cool. I'll give you guys both one more if you guys haven't tried it yet. Hulu has the the Stephen King-inspired Castle Rock series. Never heard of it. Really? Oh, dude, um, did you see at Comic-Con, there was a big reflecting pool. Rumi, it's where we came up with the Handsome Boys oh, bit. Oh, yeah. Remember there was a car sticking out of it? Were you, were you there? Did we yeah. walk by that? It's, it's, if, you, if you guys have Hulu, I, it's, I guess they're releasing an episode every Wednesday, so you can't really, it's not like Netflix where they drop the whole season at once, which I kind of like. I like a, a week or so to think about shit between my episodes, but... Um, I'm a huge Stephen King fan. I've read certainly all of his big ones, but I bet you I've read 75% of what he's written start to finish. But it's inspired by a lot of his stuff. It takes place in the same world. There are nods to Cujo and to this, uh, to, to um, It and some other things, but no overtly, you know, oh, that's a killer clown in the next town over. But it's, uh, it takes place in this one town that, you know, uh, uh, I guess essentially... It's Shawshank Prison, but it's not about what Shawshank Redemption was about. It has nothing to do with that, at least not yet. But they find something creepy in the prison, and it unfolds from there. So I don't even want to spoil anything, because I'm the kind of guy who likes no spoilers, and this is the kind of thing that I was like, all right, a Stephen King TV show, I'll give it a shot. It's shot pretty well. It's acted very well. It's directed well. Like It really it holds together as a cohesive, thrilling, kind of creepy thing, and there's it hasn't blown my socks off yet, but it is suspenseful from show to show. And there's a couple things, like a couple episodes did end really well where I was like, damn, that's interesting. I'm ready for the next episode. So if you guys haven't checked that out, that's that's where I'm at right now. That's my thing that I'm excited to watch every week. And I love that it's it's every other week because I, I like I like waiting a week before I binge. Like, I think it's kind of cool to uh, to think about it. Like That's how we all grew up, right? Watching a TV show and you, you had to wait that week for the next thing and wonder what was going to happen. I'll have to give that a shot. I'm really interested in it. Um, I do know that the guy who played the Pennywise the Clown mm-hmm. <laughs> is in it, so it, it could be. It sounds like it's interesting. Yeah, but the good news about him is it Bill Skarsgård? Is that his name? It's one of the Skarsgårds. Some, some sort of Skarsgård is in it. The good news is though he walks regular. He doesn't do that stupid fucking CGI stutter step <laughs> ring bullshit that he did in the movie. He walks regular. <laughs> so Sean, thank you so much for joining us on the Launchpad Podcast. Let's uh let's throw out all your social media, your website. Where can people find your work? Sure, you can find me most easily at Twitter. Um, I'm at Sean Chris Lewis, and then my website is seanchristopherlewis.com. Excellent, thanks, man. Well, it's been a blast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much, Sean. We really appreciate you coming on the show. It's been, I mean, it's so interesting. We really like this book. We can't wait to see where it goes. And again, the art is amazing. The story is amazing, guys. You have to check it out. Coyotes by IDW. Check it out at your local comic book shop. And 
To keep up with us, Launchpad Podcast, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at LaunchpadPod and our website, launchpadpod.com. Guys, we have some great stuff coming up. Keep your eye out for it. Till next time, we're the Rocketeers. We're out. Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff.